Hi everyone, uh, welcome to That's What People Do, a podcast where we talk about people doing really cool and interesting things and sometimes really bad stuff that we really ought not to be doing. Uh, you're joined by me again, Ryan McGowan, and I've got James K with me. James, how you doing, man? I'm good, I'm good, good if you... not a bit sweaty. Yeah, why is that? Is it hot? It's a bit warm. Yeah, it is. Yeah, fair enough, it's hot. It's real hot today. Um, okay, so last week we spoke about J.R.R. Tolkien. We did. And you've told us about... Was that uh, a week ago? Yeah. Feels like yesterday. Yeah, I know. Um, he wrote Lord of the Rings, and you were talking about how like he grew up and what led him to do that, and yep. someone being really lazy left an empty page in the middle of his essay, and yeah. that's how J.R.R. <laughs> Tolkien started with the first line of The Hobbit. So this week, we're going to change it up. So this year, uh, 2019, uh, marks 50 years since the Apollo 11 mission, which was the first manned mission to the moon. I think where we landed and then man got out and set foot on it. At the time of recording, I think three days ago was the anniversary. Uh, Yeah, I think you're right. I think it was Saturday and today is the Tuesday. So it was three days ago. Well, there we are. Um, So... What I wanted to talk about is someone who you may not have heard of who was a part of the plan. And without her, we wouldn't have got to the moon. Mm. I'm talking about a lady called Margaret Hamilton. So um, we're going to go over that. We're going to talk about where she came from, what she's done, and how she helped us get to the moon and back. Cool. Okay. So Margaret Hamilton. And as I like to do, I like to give James pictures because I know he's not got, you know, Without pictures, I get sad. He's like, he's like, this is like a picture book for him. He needs <laughs> pictures, you know, too many words. I can't talk to him too often. Like, you guys, you've got great imaginations. And also, you have the internet at your hands right now. So, you could literally just Google it and have a look and see what she looks like. So, you can see there in that picture, she's stood next to, and I'm, I'm not kidding, pages upon pages of code. Those are some thick books. Thick books, and they are taller than she is. Like if you hit anyone with one of those books, death. Yeah, so she actually she actually said that when she was having this picture taken, the guys who were taking it was like, are you sure you want to like stack them all up? She was like, no, I'm stacking them all up. I'm doing that. That's what I want to do. <laughs> I take the damn picture. <laughs> She's having to hold it as well. Exactly. So there is so much code here, and she wrote all of it uh, along with her team. So, uh, born on the 17th of August, 1936, in Indiana, United States. This is a place that at the time was just picking itself up after the Great Depression in America. Uh, it just completely swept through. And with World War II about to kick off in Indiana, uh, it just boomed, right? Almost quite literally. <laughs> um, so, building up supplies for the war effort with most locals in fully support of the war, okay? Right. So, the area was so depleted of working men... So the war's kicked off at the point of this point. Oh, so, yeah, the war has now kicked off, okay? Right. And Indiana is just depleted of men. There are none left, right? So a total of 118,000 men from America Ooh. went off to fight. That's a whole lot of men. That's a whole lot of men, right? 118,000 men went off to fight from Indiana. One state just alone. Just Indiana, just one, one state, state. alone. One state alone. Imagine if you were, like, the only man left there. Yeah. You'd be having a great time. <laughs> or, or, not, the point. or not, because Indiana was so for the war, if you weren't fighting in it... Yeah, you'd be a coward. You'd probably be classed as a coward, and they would not like you at all. Uh, so yeah, women, because of the lack of men, women began to show the world that they can do just as good a job as anyone else. Right. So they joined military causes. They were nurses, they were truck drivers, some of them were even pilots. 
Uh, these women like kicked ass, man. They knew what they were doing. They're like, nah, sod this, man. The men are away. I'm going to show them what I'm about to do. I'm going to be a pilot. I'm going to do a truck driver. I'm going to help out. I'm going to be a nurse. I'm going to look after these people. Good. So many Hoosiers, and that's what they're called, Indiana people. Uh, people from Indiana are called Hoosiers. Many, many Hoosiana women worked help uh, worked helping mass production of war materials. Okay. Uh, so that's like the majority of them. They were like yeah. factory workers and stuff like yeah. that. And a lot of factory owners did not like it at all. They did not like the idea of women, but it's like either that or you close. So they had to do yeah. it. So they just took them in and they're good workers. They were really good. They're like helping out with the war <laughs> effort and things like that. So women helped uh, mass production of war materials. The seeds uh, for women's rights can claim to be sown here, literally, right? Now, this is a place that a young Margaret Hamilton grew up in and I'm going to talk about it a bit later, but I am absolutely certain that an element of this culture shift lived inside of her and helped her to push to do the awesome things that she did. That women can do whatever Women they want. can do anything. She grew up in an area that like women were like, these women were working in factories. These women were pilots. These women were doing everything that a man could do. Yeah. And she grew up seeing that. And I'm, I'm, I'm telling you now, if that has not had an impact in her life. No, 100% it would have. Then I don't know what has. Yeah. So. So she studied mathematics at uh, University of Michigan in 1955 and earned herself a BA in the subject graduating in 1958. Mm. So she also finished a minor in philosophy at Earlham College, which is where she met her husband, James Cox Hamilton. Okay. Uh, so she was homecoming queen um, and he was class president. Oh, it's like the perfect couple, isn't it? Right. So this is what I wanted to go over. Um, I actually have in our, in like this little section here with all my stuff. Like, what is this? I don't know what a homecoming queen it's, is. Um, it's like a, it's kind of like our prom king and queen, isn't it? Because as far as I'm aware, the prom king and queen are the douchebags of the year, the actual arseholes of the year. I think it's a popularity contest, isn't it? That's what I'm saying. Like, it's just popularity contest. I was a full-on in-betweener at school. I would, I was never going to be a prom uh, our king. Our prom, the teachers voted, which was weird. That is weird. Yeah. That is a bit... It's strange. I, no, 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 I'm not going to think about it too much because mm. that is really weird. <laughs> I think that's a bit odd. So a homecoming queen is like Miss Popular. Everyone yeah. likes this person. She's really cool kind of thing. And yeah. then a class president is also the same thing. Yeah, I assume so. That's what, what I'm guessing. If you have any American listeners, please let us know. Yeah, drop us an email because we also have an email address, don't we? Or hit us up on social media. Uh, the email is that's what people do podcast at gmail.com. Oh, we're going to get this in every single episode. Or find oh, us we'll... on Facebook, Twitter. Yeah, find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're going to be on there. Um, okay, so yes, uh, so she quickly got herself a job teaching mathematics and French to support her husband, James, as he was studying uh, an undergraduate degree at Harvard. So he was, you oh, know, as wanted... you do, yeah. clever guy. Yeah, exactly. Harvard, like one of the most prestigious schools in america yeah he wanted to be a, a lawyer and she was a mathematician right right uh, but she also got a job teaching french to help him out whilst he was doing that so she was doing french as well well yeah i'm gonna assume so because to teach it you got to be pretty good at it yeah right um but also like i want to like point out as well when she grew up she grew up in an area where like women were just doing their thing yeah owning themselves and being like yeah man we're gonna get a job we're gonna do this we're gonna show everyone what we can do and then she also had that, got herself a degree, went to university, done that, got a degree in philosophy, a, a minor in philosophy, got her maths uh, degree. And then she put all of it aside to just like, you know, teach the mathematics and French to help her husband so he could get his degree. Like that's, that's commitment. So she's really, so she's sound as well. She's sound. She's so committed to him. Anyway, so he ended up becoming a lawyer. 
of course, because that's what he studied. Yep. Uh, and they married uh, soon later on and had a daughter called Lauren, who, without realising, had a role in getting a man to the moon. And I'm going to save that for later. So Lauren comes back. Lauren is going to come back. I'll remember the name. <laughs> She's got a role later on. So in 1959, she got a job working for a guy called Edward Norton Lorenz, who was a mathematician and established the theoretical basis of weather and climate predictability. And don't ask me what that means. I think it means he's a weatherman. He is pretty much a weatherman. Actually, there is a picture of him, if you want to get it up. You scroll up. It was next to Margaret Hamilton's picture almost. Yeah. Nice yeah. suave dude in a suit looking all like, yeah, look at me. I'm a mathematician. Now I talk about weather. Yeah. 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 So he His looks like, yeah, not great. Right, yeah, yeah, but he looks like your everyday mathematician slash weatherman, if that's, you know, what they look like. Uh, yeah. He screams weatherman. Yeah, he does. Anyway, so she got a job in the meteorology department at MIT, which is the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. And now you definitely heard of MIT. I recognise the initials, yeah. So you know like everyone knows about Harvard. You've yeah. all, everyone's heard of Harvard. Everyone's heard of Cambridge. Everyone's heard of Oxford. Yeah. Everyone's heard of MIT as well. It's like a prestigious technology. I, I reckon I, rec- I couldn't if someone said MIT to me, I'd be like, I recognise the initials, but I wouldn't be able to tell you it stands for Massachusetts Mass- this is a word I can't say. Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Give him a biscuit. Yes, it stands for <laughs> Massachusetts Institute of Technology. And here she learnt to develop software for predicting weather. So, right. like, essentially, you know, like, when you're watching, like, the, the weather in the morning or whatever, and you see, like, the patterns change yeah, over yeah, the like days, the that kind of stuff, thing. Yeah. So she was, like, helping write software to, like, essentially be the precursor for that, um, which is, like, in 1959, way, way, yeah, like, forward-thinking future stuff we're looking at here. Yeah, because I'm assuming back in those days, the weather was whatever you looked out your window and saw it as. So, no, the weather the, used to throw up weather balloons in the air. And uh, so the weather balloons would go so high up because in the Because this sky. is what they say, like, this is a whole different podcast, but you know, like Roswell and stuff. People say it was a weather balloon, but this anyway. This topical. Moving on. <laughs> no, topical. Roswell, yeah, they said it. It was a weather balloon, but it's like, it's a was bit, it though? Uh, weather balloons ain't made of, like, structured metal and stuff, yeah. but I don't know. <laughs> what do we know? Anyway, so, now, this is, this worked out with people having to learn the job as they go, right? Because, like, software and that kind of technology was in its infancy like we're talking like within the last sort of 15 20 years this kind of technology is out and it's slow moving uh, so people are literally learning the job on the job they're like oh i'm gonna be a software engineer what does that do i don't know i'll find out on tuesday that kind of thing <laughs> right you learn it as you go um it's it was it's a new field it was changing every single day it was completely new so from 1961 to 1963 she worked on a project called SAGE, or it's known as Semi-Automatic Ground Environment. This project was to create a computer system that could predict weather systems and track it using simulators. So she was one of the programmers who would write code for this, right? So she's already establishing herself as a proper code writer. She like is she... a full-on code writer. Like yeah. She is good at this stuff. It's like... actually mad that you say code writer, like I know what that means, but I don't actually know what it... Right, so like... She'd write code for like computers so they know what to do. So, so she program. Okay. So yeah, essentially she's programming computers to like do things that like. So if if you think of it, like a computer's just sat there, and it needs input. It needs to be told what to do before it does anything. It's waiting to be told what to do. That's until the machines take over. Wait, yeah, until all our robot overlords. Yeah, exactly. Which is happening because, yeah, AI AI is going to be a thing. Have you have you seen Ex Machina or Machina? Yeah. 
that's going to that's gonna happen, man. Yeah, You're not going to know who she is. Killer. She's just going to walk in there. She's going to like be your wife and then murder you and then move on to the next one. And slowly by slowly, she's going to kill all the humans. That's the American dream right there. <laughs> that's what I moved there for. <laughs> so, yeah. So, she was helping with this. So, she's literally like inputting like code into a computer and the computer's then like doing what it's told. But like she's getting it to do simulations for weather patterns and stuff like that. Like this is amazing to be able to like pick up like where her and how weather changes and predicting it in the future and that kind of thing. It's just amazing. Honestly, I fully imagine being out of your depth here. <laughs> it's crazy. Induction pranks, right? So Hamilton said, oh, this is where I'm going to have you read quotes now. So you know your little highlight bit? I can see my highlight bit. Good stuff. I'm so, going to read a quote that I've never seen before. Excellent stuff. So I hope you get it right. So uh, when she first started here, there was an induction prank, right? Uh, sort of like an initiation. So Hamilton said... What they used to do when you came into this organisation as a beginner was to assign you this programme which nobody was ever able to figure out or get to run. When I was a beginner, they gave it to me as well. And what had happened was and what had happened was it was a tricky programming and the person who wrote it took delight in the fact that all of his comments were in Greek and Latin. So I was assigned this programme and I actually got it to work. Right. It even printed out its answers in Latin and Greek. I was the first one to get it to work. So basically, end of quote, she managed to get this unusable programme yep. that was created as a joke to just annoy people and haze yep. people essentially. She made it work. She made it work. And then not only did she make it work, she made it reply back in the languages that he programmed it in that no one could understand. She has flipped it and wow. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah, right. She's literally just gone like, oh, sorry, are you trying to be a dick here? <laughs> <laughs> have that back. <laughs> it's like, have you ever seen, is it the, the when the Star Trek got revamped and he's like doing his induction and stuff and he's, uh, I think it's Spock's put under like a situation that no one can ever solve and he just solves it. Brilliant. I think, That's her. She's essentially like this world's Spock. That's mad. That's mad that she's, she's insanely clever. So... This seriously helped her out in getting a job working with NASA, which I'll tell you a bit about first, right? Because uh, I need to tell you about the most expensive fuck that guy in history, all right? So oh, I'm excited. Yeah, we got to go back. we got to go do, 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 like back in time, right? Rewind him. To the Cold War. Oh, dear. Yeah, so this is the thing. Space travel might not have happened without the Cold War. There was a space race, wasn't it? There was a space race, right? So we'll go into it. The Cold War's happening, okay? The Americans and the Soviet Union came out of the Second World War as the two dominant superpowers in the world, but with two completely different ideologies. The American capitalist democracy and the Soviet's communist ways. Yeah. Okay? So, both were competing to show the world which is the best, and it ended up going to space. Right. right? And that's how it goes. Soviet Union actually had the edge over the Americans, sending its first ever satellite... Sputnik. Sputnik. It was highlighted, so I read it. You have to read it. Into orbit in 1957, all right? Now, the Americans got theirs up a month later, right? I remember seeing this on the news recently. When the um, Soviets sent that satellite up, the yeah. Americans were so concerned that yeah. it was like a nuclear bomb that was going to wipe them out that if they could send the satellite, they could easily bomb them. Yeah. And like the American public, inter they interviewed them, and they, they thought death was imminent. Uh-huh. 
Yeah, but so it wasn't. It was a satellite. The Cold War is insane. The whole era itself, people were on the edge of their seats every it's single day. It's just a day. war that could have ended the world, but it could have ended didn't. the entire world. There's actually a really, really cool story, and we, I think actually we'll probably have like a little aside, and we'll talk about him on another episode. But there is one guy. He's a Russian dude. Is it the dude that guy, saved the world? The guy that saved the world. Yeah, he's a cool who guy. Prevented World War Three from happening. Yeah, we'll talk about him another time. Um, so yeah, no, you're right. The, that satellite went up Sputnik. The Americans were pissed because they were ready to do theirs only literally a couple of months yeah, later. Yeah, it's essentially a who's dicks bigger competition. Oh, it, yeah, it's the biggest who's dicks bigger. Yeah. So that went up into orbit in 1957. The Soviets also had the first man in space in 1961 with mm-hmm. Yuri Gagarin. Recognise the name? Yeah. The Americans were three weeks behind oh. with Alan Shepard. That would piss you off, wouldn't it? Literally. In the grand scheme of things, that's not long. And so if you picture it like this, right? Soviet Union, Russia is trying to compete by saying, look, the communist way of life is the best way of life. Look at this. This is how good we are. Mm -hmm. The Americans are trying to do the same thing and say, the capitalist way of living is better. Look what we can do. Oh, no, we've lost it to the space race here. We were too slow behind there. Yeah. What is it that we're doing that's wrong? That kind of thing. So they're losing. They need some like big dick energy coming in. They need to do something. They've got to push it, right? Yeah. So the US, of course, were pissed with being second best. So in 1961... President John F. Kennedy said, fuck that guy, we're going to the moon, right? No, he actually said, quote... It's highlighted, so here we go. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they're easy, but because they are hard, because that goal will serve to organise and measure the best of our energies and skills, because that challenge is one that we are willing to accept. Translation, fuck that guy. So it's essentially him saying to the Russians, like, we see you, we see you, but get ready because we're coming. Yeah, it's one of those, oh, so... A satellite in the sky, a man in space, we're going to put a man on the moon. Yeah. Easy. Like, we're going to do it. The one thing about that quote that I've never understood, he says, we choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. What were the other things? I don't know what the other things were. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. He never specifies what the other things are. You know. He's like, we're going to go to the moon and do Do the other things. And never specifies what they are. When did Vietnam kick off? Uh, Vietnam kicked off. Uh, I think it was happening in that era. Yes, yeah, sometime after that. Not too long, actually. It was playing in the 60s. Sound guys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sound guys are going to become famous for us now. Like, they're just known as the sound guys now. When did we're, the not gonna, war we're not going to give them names. <laughs> they're just going to be called sound guys for this now. Wow. Oh, wow. That went on longer than I thought. 1955 to 65. 75, wasn't it? 1975, 55 to 75, 20 years. So it's happening. Okay, so I thought the other things could have been the Vietnam War, but apparently Right, not. so the Americans are also ploughing in so much money into this war that they're never going to win. Yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, and then they're also like, yeah, we're going to go to the moon as well. Yeah. Right? Okay, so translation. Fuck that guy. And so the Apollo program was launched. Fun fact for you, Apollo 11 is the one that got to the moon, but Apollo 10 was a dress rehearsal for the actual real thing that they had all the equipment needed to actually land on the moon. But Houston was concerned that the astronauts would just fuck it. I'm doing it and land on the moon, which obviously isn't the plan. Well, but if you could do it, why not do it? Right. So obviously they didn't want to get in there and then not know what to do. So the whole dress rehearsal was like, okay, we're going to just play the whole thing out. So we're going to launch it. We're going to fly to the moon. We're going to go around the moon. We're going to 
get as far as possible and then like see okay we can do that bit because the landing bit wasn't necessarily the hardest but it was getting there right um so they had to do that bit. so they had to do dress rehearsal and they did it a couple times like kind of thing but apollo 10 was the first like okay everything's in here we're doing everything as it ought to be on the actual day we're just going to make sure like you know we if can i get was there. on apollo 10 i would be livid because you'd be sitting there with your grandchildren and be like i was the first person almost on the moon i'd be like, nah, that's so unfair well yeah so they they flew a matter of 10 miles above the surface of the moon which in the grand scheme of space is nothing yeah nothing at all so they flew 10 miles above the surface oh, of the moon right livid. and they weren't allowed to land I mean, they could have landed. Like I said, they had literally everything capable to land. They had all the equipment that was needed to actually do the full run, okay? The, re- the only way they were stopped doing it is NASA didn't give them the fuel to get back if they did it. Oh, for fuck's sake, That's, right? <laughs> yeah, so they were like, listen, man, you've got you've got all you need. You could you could go out and do it, couldn't you? And they're like, do you know what? Fuck you. Yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And they were like, all right, uh, you, you've got no, no, you're not got enough fuel to get back, though, if you do. So you're going to die. So you'll but die. Can you imagine if they did this, the dress rehearsal, well, oh, you can't land on that. So the Apollo 10 comes back and then just before Apollo 12, the Russians land on the moon. Oh, mate, actually, I didn't think about that. Imagine that. That would have been like, to be fair, I'd be laughing. I'd be like, well, you could have done it, but you didn't for that no reason. That's so funny. You just, well, I understand why they would do it, but if you have the capabilities to do it, you may as well. Mm, yeah, I suppose. But yeah, so they didn't give them enough fuel to get back if they actually did land on the moon. So well, that's I feel how they sorry did for that. Those astronauts, I really yeah, they wouldn't have been able to have taken off from the moon. So imagine that they would have landed and just been stuck there. Yeah, that is a pretty lonely place to die, isn't it? Right. Uh, anyway, back to Margaret Hamilton. Now that we've kind of got up to sp- up to speed, up to with speed on the space Apollo program, program yeah. or where we're at. Okay. So this lady's pretty smart. Okay. She is. She joined the Charles Stark Draper Laboratory at MIT, so Massachusetts Institute of Technology. You remember that? I, mean, I know you remember that. Which was working on the Apollo space program in getting a man to the moon. Yeah. So she actually led a team of software engineers that developed codes and algorithms for the flight software of Apollo 11's command module. Right. So this is the thing that, like, when you're flying, it kind of, like, keeps them on track. It's kind yeah. of almost like the satellite navigation, kind of, like, sat nav for the moon, that kind of thing, right? Yeah. She was helping and leading a team that were going to write code for that stuff. Okay. Yeah. So um, she was all about precautions and making sure that there were backup options and things, you know, go, you know, plan B, plan C, plan D if things go wrong. Right. Yeah. So this is where the daughter Lauren comes back into it. Okay. Oh, okay. So Hamilton would used to bring her daughter to work with her. Okay. And so little Lauren would watch and play. She'd eventually found herself in the cockpit of an Apollo flight simulator. As you do, we've all been there. Can I just take an aside? Can you imagine being a kid taken to work by your mum and you just rocking around NASA? Yeah, and someone's like, do you want to go on a flight simulator? Sitting in flight simulator. Just, just, do you want to go to the moon? We're going to go to the moon, so do you want to have a go? Right? Uh, Mind-blowing, right? So she sat, she's managed to find herself in an Apollo flight simulator. She was on her very own mission to the moon and all was going well until she pressed the wrong button, which started a pre-launch program causing the whole simulation to crash. Well, she, she was a child, wasn't she? So. Exactly. But the point is, she sat there and she's pressed the wrong button in the simulator and the simulator would have crashed. So she would have not, you know, she wouldn't have got to the moon. Yeah. But she's like four. Yeah. So what do you expect? So no harm done, right? It's only a simulation. But... This has sat back with Hamilton, okay? 
It's raised a concern that if an astronaut were to do the same thing and press the wrong button by mistake, it could be problematic, all right? Oh, oh that's clever. Okay. Yeah. She wanted to create a backup program that could help in that situation, but NASA were claiming that a highly trained astronaut wouldn't make that mistake. That makes sense, right? Astronauts are test pilots. These guys know how to fly. These guys are like the peak. They are the creme de la creme. They're like the cherry on top of everything. They're on peak physical fitness. They are smart. They're scientists. They're test pilots. They're brilliant. They're smart, man. I hear that, but put someone in that situation and the mistake is very possible. Yeah. I should also point out, though, at this point in time as well, software engineering was not a very well-respected discipline at the time, with many people thinking it lesser than other engineering aspects. So, it, so she didn't get much credit. Right. So she's going up to people and saying, I think we ought to do that. That seems to be like, I'm not sure about this, that, the other. And they're going, what are you on about? Like, they're, they're, come on, man. They're astronauts. They know what they're doing. They're smart. They're not four-year-old kids. Yeah. And plus, like, it's just software engineering. It's fine. It's not like you're building the actual module itself. Come on. They're not actually sitting in your, like, data thing, da 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 whatever. Yeah. Well, well, well. Apollo 8 launched. Mm. Its job was to simply orbit the moon and come back, okay? But with day three into the mission and one of the astronauts pressed the wrong button by accident, starting a pre-launch program that deleted part of the program the computer needed to get the astronauts home. It did. This guy did exactly what her daughter did. He actually pressed the same button and started the pre-launch program, which completely fucked it up. What a moron. Yep. And because obviously she had not been... She'd not taken out time to make uh, software or because develop anything for to, it because yeah. she was told not to do it and they couldn't spend money on it. Yeah. It took NASA engineers nine hours to fix the issue, right? Which involved sending replacement data to the computer. Now, this could have all been avoided if Hamilton had been allowed to plan for it, which is what she wanted to do. I'm assuming after this as well, they turned to him and went, okay, you could do it. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. like, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, we need backup options. Yeah. Right? Nine hours to do that stuff, which if she'd been allowed to do for it, probably wouldn't have had a problem with it. They could have just probably diverted the issue or something like that. Yeah. It's mad. So, she also designed Apollo's computers to simply prioritize programs to become more efficient. Right. So, um, a fault and an error that the module itself was having consistently was the computers essentially crashing and errors happening. Okay. The reason being is because... Getting to the moon takes a lot of effort. It's tough to get there. Like, you can't just... I it's imagine. Not, yeah, exactly. You know, it's not just like, you know, gliding a plane or whatever. I don't know. Um, it's hard. It takes these computers a lot of work. And these computers were overheating and getting overworked and too much processing. And they couldn't handle it. And they'd crash and they'd have errors. She managed to create a system where it could prioritize its own work, which is amazing. It, essentially, almost making these computers kind of self-aware. Yeah. It was like, I am aware of what I can cope, cope with. I shall now prioritize what task what is needed, okay. i.e. landing on the moon's surface. Yeah. I will forget everything else and focus all my energies on this so that yeah. we can get that system running, which is, is honestly mind-baffling. For the 60s, that's fantastic. Yeah. That, that's so cool. Um, so, picture it. The module was three minutes from landing on the moon's surface and an error comes up. Okay, basically, the computer on board is being asked to do more than it can handle. And so Hamilton software then kicks in. Computer managed to prioritize high priority tasks, such as landing on the moon. So she said about it, quote. Oh, it's me again. 
The computer, or rather the software in it, was smart enough to recognize that it was being asked to perform more tasks than it should be performing. It then sent out an alarm, which meant to the astronaut, I'm overloaded with more tasks than I should be doing at this time, and I'm going to keep only the important tasks, i.e. the ones needed for landing. Actually, the computer was programmed to do more than recognize error con conditions. Uh, a complete set of recovery programs was incorporated into the software. The software's action, in this case, was to eliminate lower prior priority tasks and re-establish the more important ones. If the computer hadn't recognized this problem and taken recovery action, I doubt if Apollo 11 would have been the successful moon landing that it was. And boom, the eagle has landed. Oops. Like my little picture there as well. Oh, it's a little conspiracy because it was all filmed. Yep. It, it didn't happen. Hoax. It was it didn't fake. It happen. It was fake. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, for those listening, I have a picture of an astronaut on the moon uh, with a clapper and some studio lights next to it. Uh, obviously, yeah, there's quite a hot topic in that the moon landing was fake. It didn't happen. It was all in a studio. That's insane. Like, it definitely happened. All right. And then to say that it didn't is sort of really kicking in the teeth of people like Margaret Hamilton, who worked on this for years yeah. and put blood, sweat and tears and the amount of effort that went into this. So then say it didn't happen. It's almost, you know, it's offensive almost. Yeah, it's awful. It's not nice. So this is the bit I want to get into, right? Her areas of expertise are insane. She has a list of things she is proficient at right these include fucking list them go right i have a list here i um you can ask me what these do and i would not be able to tell you because these are so every single smart. one just to put you on the spot systems design and software development what's that no idea good uh, enterprise and process modulin tell me about that oh, i couldn't tell you right okay development per, per, paradigm oh my god i can't even read it paradigm please, please elaborate I, I can't read that word so i'm not gonna Formal systems modeling languages. As uh, yeah, I think I actually do know that one. Oh, that's formal one systems modeling languages. That's something about um, the computers managing to write essentially their own languages so they can communicate right, okay. with each okay, other. Okay, okay. Uh, I think well, I may be wrong. Let us know if we are wrong, which I probably am. System oriented objects for systems and modeling development. Automated lifecycle environments. Models for maximizing software reusability. I've just seen this list. It goes on. Yeah. Domain analysis, correctness by built-in language properties, open architecture techniques for robust systems, full life cycle automation, quality assurance, seamless integration, error detection and recovery techniques, man-machine interface systems, operating systems, end-to-end -end testing techniques and life cycle management techniques. This woman is insanely smart. Like, she's so intelligent. I have no idea what any of those things are. Exactly. And she is proficient at all of them. She's insane. She's she mad. helped write code that got a man to the moon. In fact, not one man, three of them. Yeah. Right? That's she, mental. She, she is an insane human being. And this is in a time where women primarily worked as local school teachers, nurses, secretaries, waitresses, or even simply just a housewife. And then you've got Hamilton helping sending man to the moon. Yeah. Like, you've got women sitting there and they're waitresses. Like, this is a time where women weren't allowed to do, like, cool and interesting jobs. Like, it and she's she's working at NASA with like a couple of other people, just like sending them into the moon. And she like ran a team as well. Ran she a was team. A team leader. Ran I'm, a I team. imagine if there was some like men in that team, they probably weren't 
Well, right, so this is something we need to get into as well. She was a mother at the time, and that didn't stop her. Yeah. Right? She brought her child with her to work. Yeah. Damn right. Ain't nobody going to tell her what to do. In fact, she did actually get aggro from one guy. So one of the men walked up and asked me, actually, no, this is a quote. You see my quote marks? Yeah. I haven't coloured this in. Do you want me to go for it? You're going to read this quote. So I'm Margaret Hamilton. You are now Margaret Hamilton. Go, do your best Margaret Hamilton voice. I don't want to butcher it because she's so much better than me in every way. <laughs> she is. So I'm just going to say it normal. One of the men walked up and asked me, how could I leave my child at home? And that's when I said to him, you do what's right for you and I'll do what's right for me. Right. Fair play. Damn right. She's like, sorry, we're all here sending men to the moon. And you're going to have a go at me because I left my kid at home and I'm going to work. Yeah. Yeah, man. What douche. She's cool. So uh, she had a, pardon the pun, a stellar career going on (laughs) to help design and software for Skylab, which was the only space station solely operated by NASA. So, you know, at the moment we have the space station up in space, which is space is in like less than like high orbit or something. Um, That's operated by like, three or four nations or something like that yeah, co- yeah collaborating yeah. together yeah uh skylab was the only one that was pr- solely americans right um which was yeah that was um yeah so she eventually la- left and co-founded a business called higher order software continuing to develop error prevention software right. so that whole like you know if by that astronaut pressing that wrong button uh, her software then kicks in and does something cool. Yep. She then like kind of built a business with a friend, making that their sole priority. And that's the kind of thing that they're going to try and continue to develop and make sure that that is the coolest shit ever. Cool. Right? Um, so she stayed with her company until 1985. So a year later, creating her own company in 1986 called Hamilton Technologies that specialized at universal systems languages, which was designed by her. Right. Now, this is the one I can actually talk about. Okay. Universal system languages, uh, that is the thing I was talking about earlier. That's where like computers can essentially communicate with each other, right. but like without using a language that we're going to get. So but when uh, computers take over the earth, I know that it's her fault. It's entirely. probably her fault, yeah. Yeah, that, that, which is weird because was it Google that not too long ago created an AI that could talk yeah, to itself? Yeah, and it started, but the thing is, it started talking between it and it started saying some like real booky stuff. Yeah. And like they had to kill it. Yeah, they had to kill. Sw- they had a kill switch for it, and they were like, "Nah, this is not happening now." Because it, it started like go. They couldn't control it. I think there was like one one thing, and it was like, "I want to, want to, want to, want to, want," and then like, it was going like that. And, it, and but like they understood each other. Yeah. Even though it makes no. If you sense. let computers talk to each other, bad things are going to happen. Brilliant. <laughs> Don't let computers talk to each other. No, let's go the other way. Get rid of your computers. Throw them out. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's what she did. She created that the uh, universal systems language. Um, it's an artificial language program can uh, use that you can use to communicate with each other. That's what the computers use. Uh, she runs that out of Cambridge in Massachusetts, and it's still going even today. Nice. Um, so yeah, that's Margaret Hamilton. She's a really cool person. She's awesome. She's fucking awesome. She's done some amazing stuff. She got a person to the moon. Well, not solely her, but she led a team, and she was part of a massive team as a whole. Yeah. And yeah, almost is like an integral person, like yeah. part of this team. Without her, like. It, they might not have got there. The, the computers may have crashed and had an error like three minutes away from the surface of the moon and crashed yeah. and then they've all died. Yeah. Whereas uh, her system helped the computer prioritize what system needs doing now. I need to get this system done. Da, 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 da. Man lands on the moon. You know? Yeah. One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Oh, that's a fun fact, actually. 
<laughs> so Neil Armstrong says that he didn't plan that saying. He just said it. But he did. Did he? Yeah. <laughs> so he was one of those guys who's like, oh, yeah, I'll just, I'll just make it up. I just made it up. <laughs> but he didn't. Apparently, yeah. apparently, I think it's, it's either his brother or his brother-in-law mm. said, like, he spent weeks thinking about that like, at dinner. Like, <laughs> if you were going to be the first man on the moon, you would know that history is going to learn about you Literally. forever. So you would think of something person. awesome. Right? You're not just going to go, like, who's going to improv that? <laughs> go, that's uh, one uh, step on the ladder, two steps <laughs> on the ladder, and I'm on. <laughs> like, no, that's not, that's not piffy. Like, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. That's an awesome line. And without her, he wouldn't have said that on the moon. He'd just still be saying it over at dinner, saying, oh, that's what I would have said. That's what I would have said. That would have been brilliant if I'd said that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, man, it's 50, it's the 50 years since the moon landing. So cheers to Mark Hamilton and all of the unsung heroes that helped humanity make the biggest leap. Thank you very much, all of you, because the next stop is Mars. I was saying to my dad the other day, I was like, because India, I think yesterday, launched yeah. uh, launched them into the moon. They're trying to land on the moon. I was like, we were like the land on the moon is great. But like, if someone lands on the moon right now, like I'd be like, okay. Whereas if someone landed on Mars, then I'd be like, okay. Because Mars is technically survivable. So this is something like, uh, we're going to go into a little bit. Mars, like the whole space thing fascinates some, but not all. So when uh, the Americans announced they were going to go to the moon, Americans did not care. They were not interested. They thought, Really? You're going to put all your money and effort into that when we're in Vietnam fighting a war? Yeah. You want to go to the moon? They didn't like it. They, they Apparently, the polls saying that most Americans didn't like the idea of going to the moon. They thought it was a waste of money. Yeah. And then they went to the moon and they were like, this is amazing. We've done it. We're the best. It's USA, the USA. We yeah. beat the Russians. We beat the commies. It's all about capitalism. We're the best. We, we made it to the moon. And you know what? They, they, they went there a few more times. Uh, they did some tests, and then Americans got bored. They got bored. They, they weren't interested no more, and then they lost their funding, which is why we've never gone back. Yeah. Uh, obviously, that's a big conspiracy thing. Why didn't we go back? What did they find? That kind of thing. Was it an elaborate hoax and that stuff? They just didn't get the funding no more because no one was interested in going. They couldn't justify spending that amount of money going to the moon. It yeah. cost billions. Well, I think you could justify going to Mars because we could technically... Exactly. So... They are actually saying in the next couple of years that we're hoping to go back to the moon and put another person on there. I mean, India's doing it right now. Well, exactly. So the idea is to put a moon base on there and then that essentially will become a forward operating base for getting to Mars. So it's like a pit stop kind of? Yeah, essentially, yeah, a pit stop. Like the, the, the petrol station before you go, like the service station in the middle of the road, that kind of thing. It, that's what it's going to be. How cool will that be? Like m the moon is going to soon become a base like we're going to have a moon base. A moon base. Like like the Nazis have a moon base. We'd have one next to them. Like <laughs> It's going to be amazing, right? That's going to be so cool. We're going to oh. actually have a moon base. And no you know what? One him. day, and I really hope it's in our lifetime, <laughs> one day we'll have space tourism and we'll just fly up in outer orbit and then we'll go to the moon base and it will become like the Space Kennedy Center is now. It becomes just a bit of a museum and you'll go, look at the moon base was the first place that we went to but, and but built a base. But this is the thing, isn't it? They're saying that in like a few years we're going to have um, not space travel per se, but we're going to be able to get to Australia in about half an hour. Yeah. Because of the, uh, like they're going to build like space ports. Right. That just shoot you up into orbit and you land in Australia half an hour later. Wow. Uh, uh, honestly, it, I'm mad. I'm so excited for the future, in particular space travel. The I thing is, if you have to get to the airport three hours before to go to like Grand Canaria, how long are you gonna have to be to get to fucking <laughs> twenty four hours Australia or like in a fucking spaceship? 
yeah, you can't just rock up and like, you know, imagine that. Oh, imagine that. They'll have like, a, you know, like they have airline. You know that program they used to have like on ITV, airline or come fly with me, yeah, that kind of program. Me, yeah, yeah. But it's going to be like a space, space one. And Trump wants to do his space force. Space force, yeah. He'll have space soldiers. So I'm looking forward to seeing soldiers in space. Because, soldiers you know, all those, all those great wars that happen often. Star Wars. To be fair, if, yeah, but Trump's going to be the Death Star, isn't he? He's the Emperor. Yeah, we're going to have to form the Rebellion. <laughs> this is how it starts. The plucky Brits. This is how it starts. <laughs> but how cool is that going to be? And then uh, at some point in the future, probably in the next maybe 100 years, 200 years, there will be Martians again. People will be born on Mars who were not born on Earth. That's There mad. will be humans who were not born on Earth. That's correct. And the, the rate we're killing this planet, we need a new one. Well, yeah, we need a new one. But imagine this, right? You're going to have people born on Mars, who adapt to that. And they're going to come on a little holiday back to Earth, back to the motherland. Yeah. And they're going to go, God, I feel well heavy here. Like, God, why well, I feel so heavy? And you're like, well, yeah, our gravity is a bit. But I'm sure, like, I'm sure there's a thing that if you're born on Mars and you come back here, you would die because our gravity just, you wouldn't be able to deal with it. Or is it the other way around? Is it Mars that has it like a, a harsher gravity? I think you can adapt, but if you're born somewhere. Or is it, wait, we've got sound guys. Earth has a stronger gravity. So you're going to go... So yeah, so, yeah, so but that's what I'm saying. Would be like... Maybe, yeah, it depends. I'm not sure how much more it is, but I imagine you, if you're a Martian, you come to Earth and you'll go, God, you lot are like tough and like stocky and whatever. And like Martians might be thinner and smaller. How cool is that going to be? And then we're like, we're going to go to Mars. And oh, do you know what I mean? We could go around. to Mars, bounce around and become top athletes. <laughs> so if you weigh 100 pounds on Earth, you'd only weigh 38 pounds on Mars. Wow. Hundred pounds on Earth, thirty pounds on Mars. That's crazy. I mean, imagine doing the high jump. You just beam into the air. He's like, oh, he's gone. That's another athlete we've lost forever. Literally. But like, was it John? Is it John Carter? Is that the movie? The the awful one. That awful one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be like that. Just like launch, like however long high in the sky. That is cool. Space travel is really interesting. I yeah. Bet. And you know what? In it, and you know, to bring it back, without Margaret Hamilton helping out, yeah, and the other unsung heroes that have helped out. If we hadn't made that first step and got to the moon, we wouldn't be talking about this now. It would still yeah. be sci-fi. It would still but, be fantasy. I spoke to my dad the other day about conspiracies. And uh, he said, like, we were talking and we were like, how did we go so quickly in history from the first flight to putting a man on the moon? And my dad just turned to me and went, alien technology. Brilliant. Like, he's convinced that aliens landed and we took their technology and used that to boost ourselves well, forward in, f in technology we'll find out soon because september 20th yeah i don't gonna... know if you're signed up if you're not signed up get signed up <laughs> uh if you don't know get to know september 20th we're all going to nevada we're all uh storming area 51 that's we're what, gonna get yeah, in there that's what people do are gonna be there we're gonna find the xenomorphs we're gonna get in there and we're gonna find out what's actually september going on. 21st we'll release an episode with our alien we'll have yes our alien we'll guest. have like uh paul yeah. from the film yeah i know he's there still uh, just chilling, hanging out, having a yeah. good time. Yeah, we'll get that. We'll make sure that happens and we'll let you know how it goes. We'll, we'll, we'll come back and like, you know, I don't know, actually, we'll probably like bang out a podcast just using telepathy by then. Um, yeah, we'll take their technology and yeah. just use it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and we'll we'll just fly from Nevada back here and yeah. then just sort of beam back down. That'd in the cool. meantime, I really need to practice my Naruto run. Yes, uh, you do need to work on your Naruto form. I yeah. have noticed that your arms are a bit slack yeah. and obviously if you can't do a proper Naruto run, you cannot run faster than bullets. Yeah. So, yes, make sure you get that now down. Yeah. Yes, arms behind your back. Right, yeah. okay, we're going to wrap up there, all right? So, Margaret Hamilton, thank you very much for getting us to the moon. Thank you so much for helping out. Thank you, um, you're awesome. You're awesome. Yeah, she is. 
thank you very much for listening again, everyone, guys. Uh, join us for next week. Next week, we've got a really cool one. So this is where we're going to say, we've said it before, we're going to do it now, right? This, this podcast is called That's What People Do. People do some cool-ass shit. They do good things, right? They've done amazing stuff, and we've done some really, truly monumental things in our lifetimes, okay? But sometimes... Sometimes people do things that aren't as good, yeah. okay? And sometimes we do things we probably shouldn't, okay? So this is where we have our little side section called That's What People Probably Shouldn't Do, Yeah. okay? And we're going to get heavily involved. And we are going to get heavily involved. So next week, what people probably shouldn't do is go ghost hunting and do paranormal investigations. And mess around with demons. Yeah, but two people decided, do you know what? That's a bit of us. So next week, we're going to be talking about the Warrens, Ed and Lorraine Warren, who are paranormal investigators. Yeah. So tune in next week. You get to listen out to that one. That'll be, be a really weekend. good one. James has got some spooky stories. Some, yeah, uh, lots of death. Yeah, spooky pasta. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, right then. Thanks very much for listening. And uh, we'll see you on the next week. Take it easy. See you later.